Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I'm speaking to Claudine Gillard, the founder of Sweet Dream Sleep Consulting in Dubai. We talk all about sleep hygiene, address some pervasive sleep myths, and look at why most parents need to hit rock bottom before they address their children's unhealthy sleep patterns. Hi, Claudine, how are you? Hi, Amory. I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm fairly well rested today for this conversation. So that's <laughs> so good to start. Yeah. <laughs> okay. to be, uh, so. Well, it's not every day, as we know. Um, yes. Okay. So first, we'll talk about families and children. Okay. You, you, in your, you got into this line of work because of your experience with your son, Joseph, who, how long ago was that? He, he is six and a half. I mean, quite literally, I've been doing this just over four years, and it was the transform- transformation of his sleep that prompted me to become a sleep consultant. So we sleep trained him in March of 2017. So for the first two and a half years, he really didn't sleep. When he was about two and a half, we hired a sleep consultant. That changed everything, and the transformation was so rapid Two weeks after I sleep trained him, I was on a plane to Florida from Abu Dhabi to train to become a sleep consultant. And you trained with who? Dana Obelman, whose method is called Sleep Sense. Okay. So right off the bat, when you mentioned sleep training, still in 2021, you get people saying, I would never do that to my child and let them cry. It's, this has been going on. I first was introduced to this when my friends were having kids 20 years ago, where they you know, said, I can't do this. It doesn't seem to really have changed the conversation, <laughs> the criticism of it. Yes. Yes. I Maybe mean, it's- if you want my two cents, I'll give you just a little bit of an understanding of where I see this as, as come from. So my husband has got two children from his first marriage and they are currently 22 and 20. In fact, Joseph was born on Benjamin's 16th birthday. So Benjamin and Joseph are 16 years apart. So when I decided to become a mum. I just felt very comfortable that my husband would know all the fundamentals because he'd been there twice before. However, what transpired is because I was the mum, I was doing a lot of the kind of, let's say day-to-day functionality of taking care of a small child. And 16 years ago, or in fact, I mean, Francesca was 14 when Joseph was born. So 14 years ago, it's such a long time ago that he didn't really remember exactly what the day-to-day was like when they had a new baby. But what he did know is that they did not spend hours sitting next to the crib or you know, walking around the room uh, or putting them in their bed, which is kind of where parenting around sleep has come in recent times. And so you could say if, because they, him and his ex-wife wouldn't be clear on the method they use, you could say that those two children will cry out children, which is the, the term that's used for teaching a child to sleep through crying right now I also had conversations with my girlfriend so I was 39 when my son was born and I had lots of girlfriends that had children in their 
late 20s, early 30s, say. So they had children that were well over 10, 11, 12, well into teenage years when I had my son. And when I told them what I was doing, as in becoming a sleep consultant and or having struggles with my son's sleep, they literally could not believe it because when they had their children, so we're talking now 10, 15, 20 years ago, all it was was put your child in its bed, check on it, make sure it's okay. But, you know, they go to sleep where they sleep, you know, in an appropriate place, own bedroom, own bed. They couldn't believe it. They didn't even read a book about parenting when they had their children. So I feel like, and they laughed me out of the, you know, out of the, at the coffee shop we were in when I said, I'm going to become a sleep consultant. And they like, what's that? What I'm trying to describe is a situation where I think in recent times, there's become a, let's call it movement or an emphasis on crying as a problem, crying to get a child to sleep as a problem, um, sleeping as a not a necessary thing for a baby and more important that they don't cry but don't sleep as opposed to sleep and maybe there's a bit of crying that happens. And I don't think social media and the internet's helped because of course you can find anything you want to find if you type it into Google. I know I did before I knew any better when it came to my son's sleep. You can get an opinion from anyone about anything, whether that opinion is correct or not. And so consequently, we've kind of disregarded the need for sleep and brought the issue of crying right into our lives so much so that we're very, very absorbed by the sound of a child letting us know that they're communicating with us. But that's really all they're doing. Mm -hmm. So what I say to people is sleep training with me is stopping, waiting, listening to your child's communication, responding accordingly with the one and only objective overarching that, that we want them to sleep better because everybody is better off with more sleep. Kids are no different. So describe this method, Dana Obelman's method to me, uh, just, you know, sure. the bare bones. Yeah. So basically it's age dependent and there's a number of different strategies based on the age of the child. And those ages are kind of bands of very young baby up to three months of age, um, older child between three to four months of age, right until they're um, mature enough to be in a bed, which is sort of two and a half years on. And then um, appropriate to children who are older, in other words, in a bed that you would either describe as a toddler bed or an adult bed and beyond. And then I work with children above that. So, you know, adolescents, teenagers, et cetera, and then um, adults. So it depends on the age range, but basically what we're doing is we're taking um, a, a structure for their day. So it's really important that the timings of their day is aligned to their age and their needs. Um, understanding of when they should be consuming calories in alignment with their age and their needs. So calories sometimes are obviously directly milk um, and sometimes they're milk and solid food. Mm -hmm. And fitting that in, um, recognizing what the parents can achieve and what their own schedules allow with the needs of the child. Over and above that, it's about saying to the parents, okay, there's more than one strategy to make this happen, but ultimately we want you to not be there when your child falls asleep. And if you're not there when your child falls asleep, then your child will learn that they can stay asleep and you will not need to go in every two hours and put a dummy back in or pick them up and rock them or some other form of, or feed them or some other form of, of help. 
um, the strategies themselves either um, use the parent presence. So in other words, a parent is giving comfort and then gradually reducing or withdrawing that comfort over the course of a period of time. And okay. we agree that period of time. Or they're actually comfortable with saying, okay, I can step back from this. I can take um, myself out of the situation, but go back in and make sure that you know, my child's okay at periodic intervals. Okay, okay. It seems like a lot of people just wait till their kids are tired and then put them to sleep. Well, yes. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that do things like, you know, we'll take them for a drive and they'll fall asleep. That was us. I mean, I, I, I very clearly recommend, I'm sorry, very clearly remember um, nights where after two hours of trying to get my son to sleep, which was often breastfeeding, lying him on our big adult bed and you know, him rolling around but not falling asleep, my husband would then put him in the car and drive around the block a few times and he would be asleep. So we'd then carry him back up to our house and put him in bed, usually with us. Um, so that's one strategy, okay? Rocking is another strategy. You know, letting them, you know, exhaust themselves out so they fall asleep on the floor. It, these are all strategies. And I also would say at this point that anything that's working or isn't a problem definitely isn't a problem. I mean, there right. isn't a need for everybody to sleep train their child. Some people who are co-sleeping are very happy to do so. Some people's children don't fall asleep until midnight and that suits that family fine, okay? I would never sort of suggest that my way is the only way, but right. I know that there are plenty of people out there who what is happening isn't working for them. So right. clearly, you know, a change could be made in those circumstances. So every night you were trying to get him to sleep, he wasn't going to sleep, you'd end up driving him around. So you call the sleep consultant and then what happened? So I can honestly clearly remember it as same today as I did when the day I did it. So I said to my husband this particular morning, we cannot do this anymore. My husband and I hadn't shared a bed for six months. Um, he was obviously working and needed to have some rest. We tried all kinds of things to make things better or, or less challenging. My nanny would push my son around in a stroller in a fume-filled car park for 45 minutes to get him sleep for his nap. You know, looking back on it, what were we thinking? But anyway, we weren't thinking probably because we were sleep deprived. Yeah. So um, I remember saying to my husband, we cannot do this anymore. This is just too much now. Got online, Googled, of course, sleep consultants. At the time we lived in Abu Dhabi and there was no one in Abu Dhabi offering sleep services. We found a sleep consultant in Dubai. Um, I meet, emailed her not long after that, she emailed me back. We had a phone call that day. I, you know, I was sold. She came to see us. She gave us what we needed. We saw it through. She was supportive in terms of her um, regular contact with us. And literally the first night of sleep training was the first night my son had ever fallen asleep in his bed. He outgrew wow. two cribs before he ever slept in them because they were like, they got bigger and bigger. So newborn crib, older child crib, he's two and a half years old. He's not in the same crib he was when he was six months old. And he went into his bed and he fell asleep. It was literally like a miracle. And the weight that was lifted off us was just incredible. Was she there then? Was she no. there with you? No. Just me and my no. told you what to do. And what's the basic premise? What's the basic problem in a case like your son? What was going on? He just had a connection between himself and sleep that meant there was a parent present. I mean, he was breastfed to sleep for probably two years. 
Okay. Now, if you're two years old and you've had something in your life 100% of the time, your understanding is that is a necessary element to being asleep. I mean, there isn't like, he's not reading books or Googling sleep or asking his friends, how do you fall asleep? He doesn't have any awareness. He doesn't have any context. He doesn't have any, I don't like this. I'd like something else. Because for a child, sleeping with your parent on your mum's boob is lovely. I mean, there's no, no question about it. I mean, that's very comfortable. He'd possibly still be there now if he could. Um, and I'm not exaggerating because that has happened to me. Um, but yeah, his understanding, his children are very simple, very black and white. The message was very clear to him. If I kept putting him on the boob, he kept needing the boob. Yeah. It was by breaking that cycle. As soon as we showed him that there was another way, didn't need mummy, then, or didn't need mummy in that way, and it might have needed me, but with a different type of comfort, then he was like, oh, okay, fine. And we were so very matter-of-fact about it. Sorry? Well, I'm saying we were very matter of fact about it. We were kind of, okay, we want this. We're desperate. We've had enough. We've put two and a half years in of no sleep. Today's the day, the first night of the rest of our lives. So he will learn tonight. I will not breastfeed him to sleep. He will learn. We will approach this as a, let's say, project. And our child needs to sleep, and so do we. So we put him in his bed, and we will encourage him to fall asleep by himself. And he did. And it was enough to give us that motivation to continue um, because it was what was our priority at the time. How long did it take that first night? And you would be in the room, you're there, he knows that you're there, right? Yeah. How long did that take the first night? Um, it took about 50 minutes, which was not out of the question for him to have taken that long on the breast anyway. So, I mean, it was, it was the same as any other night. Um, what happens is that each night it gets easier, it gets better and it gets shorter and you know he didn't cry he had parent present it was the combination of my husband and I he had a parent present you know so he was very reassured he had security and certainty that he wasn't abandoned or left by himself so and I mean at two and a half years old he fully knew that we were there it wasn't like he's a little baby who had no concept of, of what was going on he understood that his parents were there did you see a difference in him after he started falling asleep um, by himself? I mean, just hearing you say that, like, actually makes me feel quite emotional. The, um, hmm. the thing that keeps me doing what I do, my screensaver on my computer is a photograph of my son. And it was the first photograph that nursery took of him. And he started nursery when he was 18 months old. And he sat there on a bench and he's smiling and he's the sweetest little boy. And he's got these big dark black circles under his eyes and it's that that keeps me doing what I'm doing because he was totally fine he was happy he was lovely he was sweet he was funny he was developing but I could only see how much more he could or how much let's say better but how much um, more able he was to handle and tolerate and do things once he was sleeping better his mood was better, the way that he approached life, you know, he was much more, um, let's say, determined, he was much more willing to take on challenge, he didn't, you know, lose his temper or go to tears quite as quickly, which, you know, to go to tears at two and a half years old is completely fine and normal, don't get me wrong, but it's just the way that he was able to handle things, and he was having about four hours a day, too little sleep. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you, you found that out from the sleep consultant as well? Mm -hmm. From the sleep consultant. I mean, we didn't, 
recognize that until she pointed it out. So how much sleep was he having and how much sleep was he then getting? So he was having about nine hours overnight and he should have been having 12. And he was having a nap of about an hour and he should have been having a nap of two. Okay. He was tired. He was a tired little boy. Has he had any other sleep issues crop up um, since you did that? Never, never, ever, ever have I had a sleep problem with him. Now, I will say, I'll just caveat that. I mean, it's a bit unfair for other parents to, to say that, okay, well, that would apply to them. Because obviously, because I do what I do, I'm using him as my, not my test case, but my like benchmark expectation. So he has the certainty of a bedtime routine every night. He has the certainty of, of a bedtime and a morning wake up. Um, he has the certainty of no nightlight in his bedroom that's disruptive to his sleep. He has a pitch black bedroom. He has the room temperature at the right temperature. So I'm, I've got a lot of protocols in place that I talk to my families that I work with about that I apply with my son. Just so, as I'm, just so as anyone who's listening is really clear, my son does sometimes wake up at night. That would be because he doesn't feel good. Okay? That would be a normal reason for a child to need their parent in the night. Okay? My son now, I have to drag him out of bed in the morning. So I've gone from my child waking up, me up sometimes four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning to a child that I now need to drag out of bed because he sleeps so well. So 99.9% of the time, we put him to bed, we don't hear from him. Once in a while, there will be an issue that's out of his control. Of course, he needs his parents. Clearly, that's understood. Um, but right now, especially with Ramadan, I was him and I having this like morning challenge where he loves to sleep and doesn't want to get up. Wow. And what changed for you and your husband when you, when you switched over and just made, took that plunge? I mean, honestly, the fact that we were back to a, the, the same bedroom is pretty impactful on a marriage. Um, it was also just like that connection to come together and make this change in our lives that because obviously we were short tempered as well we weren't sleeping brilliantly well my husband had a very um not stressful job but a very um um a job that required a lot of his attention and and his his abilities and so you know that obviously made a big difference to him sleeping well again because even if I'm taking care of the child in the middle of the night obviously someone else's sleep can be disturbed by that um and you know just the ability to be able to handle things yourself less emotionally or less you're feeling less challenged because you're you're well rested so yeah the, the fact that we brought this gift of sleep to our family it galvanized everything for us as a as a family unit and as a couple um it's interesting to me because it's like as an outsider, you're just telling me a story of like, you had one way of doing things that just did not seem like it was working at all. And it was actually taking way more time every night. And then you switched to this thing that took a very short period of time, but just a complete mindset shift. Mm -hmm. And it changed everything. But so many people, you were, I mean, I, you, did you not know what was out there? Like what held you back from taking action and what holds other people back? Do you think? This is a, brilliant question because this is something I talk to all my clients about I just want to be really clear I was not ready to make that change and I mean that's driven by me because being the mother and not saying that my husband didn't have a say but in this particular part of our family life I was a lot more of a driving force I was not ready until that day and I talk to all families about this no one should feel like oh my child's six months I should do this my child's one year I should do this my child's 18 months I should do this you should come to a point 
I know it sounds unkind, that you are at rock bottom, that you cannot go on any further, that you are completely desperate, and then you will do it in a way that means that you are committed. Because I work with parents, and parents need to make the change. Child is not going to wake up one day and say, Mommy, I don't want to sleep with you anymore. Okay? Yes. And I know that because I've worked with parents who've been in their parents' bed till they were 10 years old and have said to me, I would have been happy there. I was very upset when they kicked me out when I was 10 years old because they kicked me out because they brought a new baby home from the hospital and there wasn't <laughs> enough space in the bed for me, the baby, and them. That would be so, traumatic, actually. That would right. be a yeah. My point is that that lady telling me that story is still traumatized by it at 32 because what her parents don't recognize is that, that she didn't know that it was necessary for her to sleep anywhere else and she was shoved out for a new sibling. So there's a lot of messaging there that's not very healthy. But by the by, what I'm saying is, is that no child is gonna ask to leave their parents' bed. I've got many examples of families I've worked with of older children, children that are aware in the big scheme of things, but still are very happy to share their child's bed, just to be in bed with their parents to sleep. So when I talk to families, doesn't matter what age your child is, you need to be ready. It's never too late. And it will always be hard if you're not ready. So when you read things online or a doctor tells you, oh, you know, the younger you do it, the easier. Not at all. doesn't matter what age your child is. You need to be ready. So I wasn't ready. I regret it in the sense of, oh, what I know now. But that's from a hindsight point of view, not from a a relationship with my son point of view, you know, I, I, until the time in which we decided to move him out of our bed, in a way, we were quite happy with him in our bed because we looked at him, we looked into it many times before. I looked into it when he was six months, eight months, 18 months. I just didn't see it through because from a, from a personal perspective, I was not ready. So I really want my parents, when they come to me, honestly, to be at rock bottom because I know they'll see it through. They've had it. What about older children? Now you talked about some of that sleep hygiene, they're calling it, you know, for the, for the kids. What about kids who are older, you know, like eight, nine, 10, and then teenagers? What, uh, what sort of problems are you seeing? There's a couple of different issues when the child is, let's say, physically more mobile, as in more able to decide. So when you've got a small child, you know, literally a baby right up until, let's say, preschool, you're much more in control of their life. But if you've got an eight, nine, 10 old teenager, teenager, um, there's a little bit more of them deciding things as opposed to just parents imposing things. Now, it depends on what the issue is. And this issue is split. And I'm working with a lot of families, especially since COVID, on this split issue, because some of it is anxiety, trepidation, environment, um, schooling, and the circumstances around lockdowns or, or restrictions on um, freedom that's impacting children's sleep. And some of it is the parent in the bed or the child in the bed with the parent. The child in the bed with the parent or the child needing the parent to be present is kind of not age related. So it could be a six month old baby or it could be a six year old child. If the parent is present, if the information the child receives from that is from the parent, I'm not confident in your independent sleep skills. So I'm going to be here to put you to sleep. I don't think you've got this. I don't think you can do it. So it's transferring to the child an expectation that they need their parent. Sleep training, therefore, is transferring to the child from the parent a confidence that you can do this for yourself. So that's, that's kind of straightforward, but 
takes a bit of time to move the child into that mindset. With these other factors, so examples, um, stuck in the home, not exposed to daylight or enough daylight, not being physically active, um, doing schoolwork or things that are stimulating in your bedroom, then trying to go to sleep in that same environment, um, diet, not, not to be kind of critical of any parent. I mean, I had a slump in my healthy eating habits during lockdown because why wouldn't you? Um, um, you know, mental health issues that have come about from the anxiety of either, you know, knowing someone that's had COVID or worrying about catching COVID or, you know, what does COVID mean in real terms to me? And I'm a young person and I'm not great at being able to manage that, those feelings or talk about it. These are all elements that can affect sleep that are not about sleep. They are about other things going on in someone's life that then the sleep is affected. Okay. Um, and then it kind of is the same for adults. I mean, what are we doing wrong that's stopping us from getting good sleep? Okay. So I had a really interesting conversation with a family while I'm sleep training their child and they lived in a two bedroom apartment. And I said, you know, I really encourage you to move your child into their own bedroom for this sleep training. And when they described the setup of their home, I could see why no one was sleeping well, because as it was, you know, the current coronavirus situation, dad was working from home. So he had to have a home office and their apartment was limited in space. So the home office was either the spare bedroom, so the child had to sleep with them, the living room, but that meant the child was like um, around when the, child, the dad was on video calls or, or work calls, which obviously isn't ideal, or the parents' bedroom. And what I was saying to that family is, okay, here are some strategies. So the parents' bedroom was really the only, only option. I mean, it's not the greatest option. It's actually probably very inconvenient, really. But what I said to the parents is, as the adults, we can make, we can put some strategies into place to make this easier and better. Now, if you think about the way the human brain works, human brain is very simple and it's very well, simple in terms of this that I'm about to describe, obviously it's very complex, but it recognizes things and then it you know, applies and understands them. So when my husband leaves the house in the morning, the human, his human brain knows he's going to work and he's gonna walk into his office and he's gonna sit down at his desk and what's gonna happen there is his work life, okay? If your home is now your work environment, your brain does not know what's going on when you walk through your front door. Are you going to be working? Are you going to be relaxing? Are you going to be eating? Are you going to be you know, playing with your children? It's way too muddy or fuzzy in terms of the understanding, the recognition factor. I work from home and it is a constant kind of internal battle between should I really be out of this place for what I do for a living? Um, unfortunately, it's convenient. So it's also very tempting to just stay here and work, but I never switch off because <clears throat> my office is really in, in full view all the time. It's not even shut away in another room. So if you think about this family I was just mentioning, if that person's desk is in their bedroom, they're gonna walk into their bedroom, is it sleep time or is it work time? Right. And it right. brings wired to be like, oh, okay, alert, alert, alert. Okay. So just separating those, just trying to separate them. Well, what I said to this particular family is, okay, what I need you to do, uh, if you can, is get a room divider, like a screen, and ah. you screen off that area. You okay. make as, you work as much as you can outside of the bedroom. So coffee shop, if you can, you know, in the living room when your son's on a walk with your wife, 
um, you shut your laptop, take it out of the room, and then you're out of the room and then you go back in to go to bed. You don't go from your desk to your bed when it comes to sleep time. That is not going to work. And that applies to children and students. If you're sat at your desk and then you go and lay down in your bed, your brain is like, it's not going to be relaxing to, you know, then go or relax to then fall asleep. That also applies to children that game in their bedroom. Oh, game, gaming. Gaming in the bedroom is a very classic challenge for the brain to go from that, you know, vigorous and alertness of the activity they were just doing to then be asleep. Okay, that makes sense. What about, um, I personally do try to do no screens for an hour before bed and an hour in the morning. But when I, do, when I break that rule, I swear my sleep is not good. When I, even a half an hour before, I just glance. If I just, you know what, it's just take a peek, you know, just a peek and I'll even hold it away and have my glasses with it. I swear it. I mean, what, what do you think? Well, this is a fundamental issue as, a, as well as an alertness. Now, the fundamental issue piece is Thomas Edison didn't really do us any favors when he invented the light bulb from a understanding of daylight and darkness and what that human, and how the human brain reacts and responds to that from a sleep point of view. So for millions of years, we only use the sun as our source of light. So consequently, when the sun set, we'd go to sleep. And when the sun came up, we'd wake up. Um, and now we have the ability to have light on 100% of the time, or I guess, you know, in a way, only when the sun is around. But we use the light that we can produce, supposed to just the sunlight, to keep us awake for longer. And the type of light that comes from a screen is called blue light. And blue light is a very um, sort of direct way to receive stimulation. And so consequently, it may take the brain an extended period of time to absorb that blue light and then respond by feeling tired um, enough to go to sleep. Now the tired enough to go to sleep piece is a hormone called melatonin. So what we're saying is that blue light can suppress melatonin potentially for up to two hours. So as a result, your one hour is a great start. As a result, if you're looking at screen two hours before bed and there's content that's stimulating, right. As a combination, you may not relax and fall asleep quickly. Okay. We need to be gentle to our brains. We need to, rem we need to, it feels like we need to be cognizant of telling them all the time and, and making things, making dividers for them. I like the idea of the divider. I also work at home. So I'm thinking, should I even divide my desk off from the rest of my space? It can only be beneficial. Okay. Hey, that kind of thing. You know, as I said, I work from home and the problem is that we live in an open plan apartment. So it's really in our, our living space. Um, and because I do what I do, I'm better at it than perhaps someone who doesn't know. That's the only difference really. I mean, it's still quite distracting. Um, yeah. It also means that you never switch off. I mean, what I, I envy about my husband, although he works very hard and very long hours, he, when he walks through the door of his office, he's starting work. I mean, of course he works other times, but, and then when he leaves, he's leaving it there. You know, when he walks through our front door, it's a sanctuary for him yeah. because he doesn't, I mean, I'm not saying he never works in the house, but I'm saying that for him, this is not the place he associates with work. Yeah. It's the place where I associate with fun and work and, you know, chores and 
child rearing and dogs and all kinds of other things. Okay. So it, it's too much of a combination for some people if they don't, if they're not aware of it. Okay. This is great. This is great information. So if you're having trouble getting your kids to sleep and you're not ready, don't feel ashamed. You'll, you'll get ready. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. I, I really would emphasize that point. You shouldn't feel in any way upset or annoyed with yourself of what you're doing because what you're doing works for you in that moment. And until the time comes, it doesn't work anymore. Make peace with it because that would be better. It would be better for your child to have less sleep and you've got peace with it and you're all you know, happy as a family than constantly driving yourself mad about whether you should or shouldn't do something. But then on the other hand, if you are ready to do something, then there's help out there. Okay, great. Where can people find you? Um, they can find me on my website, which is www.sweetdreams.consulting. I'm on mm -hmm. Facebook, Sweet Dreams Baby Sleep and Instagram, same handle, Sweet Dreams Baby Sleep. Okay, this woman can help you get better sleep. And if we have better sleep, we'll be everything, healthier, happier. Here. It's just simple, right? It's just uh, <laughs> simple but complicated. Well, exactly. I mean, look, what I would say to you is this: there's, in terms of adults, there's a few medical conditions that is obviously dealt with by a doctor that I don't, I don't step into that territory. Um, but mainly with adults, definitely I can help. It's it's often um, environmental lifestyle and um, and um, routine bed based help that people need, the very few people actually have a medical condition around their sleep. Okay. Um, but what I would say is that no one has ever been worse off from more sleep, okay? You can only benefit from sleeping more. No one has ever been worse off from more sleep. You're absolutely right. Okay, thank you so much. It's been so great talking to you. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.